The city of Mosul in Iraq has been in the news in the past few years with the rise of ISIS. But a friend we'll call Brother John says believers in Mosul started experiencing persecution long before that. The indigenous Christian population has been under pressure now for about 10 years in that area. There have been numerous people who were just shot and killed just because they were Christian. That population of Christians stretch all the way back to really the very first centuries of the church. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We have the privilege today of speaking with Brother John. We're just going to use a first name again this week. Brother John is the Vice President of Global Strategy for the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He has served overseas himself with his family in missions, and now he's involved in directing and guiding and mobilizing gospel workers to go into all the world. Brother John, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you so much. I really am happy to be here today. Big question. How do you recruit mission workers to go to the hard places, uh, the the Yemens and the Afghanistans and, and the places where... Uh, you're not getting a lot of tourist brochures coming to your house about those places. How do you get American Christians to say, hey, that's where I want to go serve the Lord? Well, you know, the first and foremost place is uh, per our Lord's command in Matthew 9, and in particular, we pray the Lord of the harvest. And we ask the Lord of the harvest to begin to stir in people's hearts and minds about his desire for them and where he would put them in the harvest. The harvest is global, but uh, he specifically has designed people who he has prepared to go to the to the least reach, to the places that have the most obstacles and things like that, because he has a plan. And uh, so that's where we begin. And then from there, we tell God's people, and then we see how God brings those people to bear. And there are certain churches that God has just burdened with those particular people groups in those places out of their midst. God, in a fashion that only God can do, he just surfaces people who are just prepared to be there. I want to ask a follow-up question to that because you obviously deal with the American church as you're involved in, in mobilizing these people. Is the American church doing all that it needs to do to raise up those kind of people, to raise up people with a heart for the nations and a heart for God's work around the world? Or are there some specific things that you would encourage churches to do maybe a little differently or maybe just put more emphasis on? Well, I think in terms of the inspirational side of it and uh, some of the other points uh, we're, we're pretty good at. But there are some places that we really need as um, God's children to begin earlier. The American church, we're very enamored with our own culture and our own world. And you, you, really, we don't actually talk, start talking to people 
till later on about going to the really tough places. Some of the reasons that really tough places are really tough is because of the languages and other things that we have. You know, I really, really wish the church would get a vision for, you know, challenging its 11-year-olds to learn some of the difficult languages in the world and, and start to have some of those kind of views that, that would prepare them so that by the time they're 20, 25 years old, they, they have competencies that will push them so much further down the road, whether they go through a traditional mission organization or God has a marketplace kind of venue for them to work in, but they would have that kind of preparation embedded from early on and that we would celebrate that as people are growing up and say, hey, you will dedicate your life to be an incredible athlete. Why not dedicate your life to be an incredible missionary, an incredible cross-cultural worker starting at that early age? And it's a lot easier for an 11-year-old to learn a new language <laughs> than a 40-year-old or a, even a 25-year-old. Exactly. And, and when we begin to do those things and we activate those processes that God puts in our minds, and in many places, people, by the time they're 23, speak three or four languages. And, and we need people like that. And the American church needs to be, and the North American church needs to be involved and, and having a vision to do these kind of things. Brother John, I know that uh, in your time as a leader in the mission community, you've sent gospel workers out to the hard places, uh, and you've sent some out even that, that didn't come back, some that were martyred for their faith. How do you deal with that? How do you wrestle through that, uh, even in your own mind, in your own heart, when that happens, when, when God calls somebody that, that you put on the front lines— to make that ultimate sacrifice. There's only one thing I've found. Every time I look into the eyes of my Lord in Scripture, and as I see him, I see the nations, and I see his love. You know, Second Peter 3, 9 says that he doesn't want any to perish. And I see that he has said from all the nations, and that people will come from all the nations. And and like the Apostle Paul says, when you see that love, his love compels us. It is also ultimately so reassuring is that you can't lose life. Now, we can lose this physical life, but once we've given our heart to the Lord Jesus, we have eternal life. Sometimes we, we keep that rather theoretical and, and we mourn the passing from a, a body that lived in the world that's cursed to being in the very presence of the Lord, which the parting is difficult. But that's not really the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in Christ is that he's given us life eternal. And sometimes because we live so good, we think that this is heaven. Well, this isn't heaven. And we want people to be touched by it and enthused by the fact that that relationship with the Lord is based on his love for them and our relationship to go to them is based on his love for them and for us, privileging us there. So when I look in my Lord's eyes, I see them and his love compels us to go. Let's talk about uh, your experience in North Africa. And I, I particularly want to ask, because many of our listeners have Muslim co-workers or friends or, or fellow students, what is the key or how do you advise Christians who want to reach out to Muslims and want to share the gospel with them? 
what should they do or what should they think about as they're trying to do that? Many of my close friends globally are Muslim, and they are very fine, wonderful people. But they have some misconceptions about uh, what is the, the nature of the gospel. And for years I didn't quite get this, but the place I find to help them understand what the Lord is trying to say to them doesn't start in the New Testament. It starts in Genesis 3 and 4. And there, when they understand that God himself created us to fellowship with him, it seems like a preposterous assumption, but that's what he did. And he created us. He made us in his image that we might fellowship with him. And then when we understand that sin is not just how God created us, God created us perfect. And he created us with the freedom to do everything to have from all the trees except one. And the reason that he gave us that directive is he wanted us to live in his will because he understands his will is the one that perfects us and makes us useful and we reflect him. And sin came when we said, not your will, but our will be done. And we went and we made that choice. And that choice brings sin and sin is filled with shame and it divides people. Adam and Eve were divided almost immediately in shame. Uh, it divides us from God. And so it breaks that fellowship we have with God. And then it brings a whole series of curses in our life, which ultimately ends in one brother raising his hand and striking his brother, killing Abel there in the beginning and bringing murder and dissension and all the strife that so marred the world. It suddenly helps us to make sense of the world in which we live because all of a sudden we see, well, where did all these wars and rumors of wars and all these this dishonesty and competitiveness that has no real place between human beings come from? We understand that that's the nature of sin then we see a need for a Savior. And the solution provided in Christ is there. So sometimes we need to get back and define terms. You know, I've found that, that many of my Muslim friends were surprised that right there in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Eve with her husband. Her husband was the one who had been given the instruction. He was standing there. So he was just as complicit just as guilty as Eve. And, and so women have that sole competency to receive a word from the Savior, salvation. He wants to restore man and woman that we might be one in his image. When you were living in North Africa, speaking of, of men and women, how did your wife find that experience of living in a, in a Muslim environment, living in that culture as a woman? Because I think a lot of us uh, you know, we look at Islam and the way they treat women and maybe wonder how a, an American woman is going to go and fit in in that culture. How was that for her and, and for you and your family as you were there? Well, we found that we had many friends. People welcomed us in. Hospitality was a big thing. And and women make relationships with women. And uh, it was a, a wonderful experience. I remember this might give a little bit of what happens to a person when they get in relationship. My youngest child was born in North Africa. And when she was about eight years old, we were living in the Middle East at that point. She said, Dad, 
aren't Arabs the friendliest people in the world? Because she could speak the language and she had all these friendships and all these connections and all of those things. It just sort of naturally went in. The, the hospitality and the connection is there. Now, is there pain? Sure. And once people start suffering together and, and had that shared experience in life, uh, the doors are open and people are able to move together. One of the things that, that has opened our lives with others who are from that part of the world is when they see we struggle and we have needs and we have pains and we have suffering and our humanity is the same. Their humanness and our humanness are the same. And so from that, they sense that bond and that connectivity and that love. And uh, we're able to cross those barriers pretty easily when we decide. First of all, you got to learn their language and learn to love what they love and become friends. So really, if if we were talking to Americans uh, here in the U.S. who have Muslim coworkers, you become would say, a friend. build a relationship. Build a friend. Yeah. Often the way to build a friend is to meet a need. And for them to see that you see them as a genuine human being, not as a Muslim, but as a human being who they love and can be loved by, and where mutuality is there. And as you mentioned, and as I've experienced, the hospitality in much of the Muslim world is something amazing for Americans to behold. You know, come in, eat our food. You need a place to stay. Hey, you'll stay with us. It just, they really throw out the welcome mat. Exactly. And I wish we would be the same. (laughs) I do too. Let's talk, Brother John, about some of the ways that that Voice of the Martyrs and IMB are partnering together uh, around the world. And I, I know there's Probably a lot of those we can't talk about because of the nature of our work and because of the nature of the countries where we're working. But what are some of the things that you can share about how our two organizations are, are coming alongside each other and uh, encouraging and helping the work to go forward? One thing that so um, encourages me, and uh, I see a great overlap between us, is that we both know that the best way to to deal with persecution or with any kind of other tribulation that you have is to be able to have God's Word in your heart and life. And and VOM is so deeply involved in making sure that that is gotten to the least and to those who have less access to the gospel and to the story of God's Word. Because God takes His Word, it encourages our heart, His Spirit causes it to dwell, it builds strength. It's like giving us a skeleton on which we can stand. And so those things are so important, and how we work together to see that happen is an incredibly important way. We also are very much about seeing that, uh, that our partners get good training and that they uh, are able to stand on their own and make decisions and, and deal with those kind of things and carry the gospel far, a lot further than we can carry it. And so we, we partner in seeing that that can happen. Uh, of course, you have many kind of specialties that, that fit your skill set of dealing with, with people in persecution and uh, particularly when they have um, some very serious things happen to them. And we are so glad that God has you in that place making some of those differences that few others can do. Let's talk about a city that I know is is close to your heart, and that's the city of of Mosul, uh, the city of Nineveh, biblical Nineveh, 
what is happening with the church there and and what is what is your connection to that part of the world the city has been under a lots of pressure for a number of years it, ISIL was not uh, or ISIS whichever one you want to call it uh, wasn't the first group of people to come in here the indigenous Christian population has been under pressure now for about 10 years in that area. There have been numerous people who were just shot and killed just because they were Christian. That population of, uh, of Christians stretch all the way back to really the very first centuries of, uh, of the church. And most of them are, are Catholic and their background, Orthodox, uh, or, you know, from the ancient church of the East. And uh, so the, they have great traditions and things like that. And, and so we've been um, in and out uh, with some of our evangelical brothers there and, and have visited. But uh, a number of years ago, you know, we were, we, we were so touched when some of our friends, uh, some of our partners who served through our work, they were killed right there on the that place in those in those streets. Literally, I haven't been able to be back in that area since those days. Uh, uh, been close, and but just not right there. Close by from Sinjar and, and from areas just a little bit north and east and west of of Mosul, the Yazidis. Uh, this whole unreached people group. They're not Muslim. Uh, they come from a more of a Zoroastrian background. They are also in deep pain and suffering. And uh, and some of my friends who are from that, that I've known for many years, are seeking to find ways to go and to be involved. And so our organizations both are trying to find ways to, to make a difference in that part of the world and uh, and see God's blessing and other relief organizations because the human suffering index there is so high really all through the whole Syrian crisis with you know over 9 million people displaced from their homes and and winter time is particularly hard yeah and I think of the Yazidis which as you mentioned they're they're not Muslims uh, in fact, they're treated worse by ISIS than Christians are because they're considered to be uh, sort of almost Satanists uh, by the Muslim population there. Brother John, it has been a great pleasure to have you here, and I appreciate uh, your heart and your work and the chance that we have to work alongside each other uh, as brothers in Christ. So thank you very much for being on our broadcast today. Thank you for letting me join you. Brother John is the Vice President of Global Strategy for the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's been to places where believers in Jesus are standing up for their faith, even in the face of persecution. When we hear stories of those standing firm when faced with violence, it helps our faith to grow. The Voice of the Martyrs has published a new book that will bring you stories like this. It's called I Am In. The N refers to Nazarene. It's a mark that ISIS has used to identify Christians marked for persecution. Along with the book I Am In, you can also get a worship CD by the same name. Last week, we heard from Steve Merkel, one of the songwriters who helped with this album. He gave us some background on the song, We Stand As One. In this world, we will fade tribulation but you promise you'll be 
right here with us. But last week, we didn't have time to air all of that interview with Steve and Dr. Jason Peters from The Voice of the Martyrs. They also talked about some of Steve's earlier work, spreading music around the world, and in the process, encouraging struggling believers in tough places. Right now, we're going to hear a little more of that conversation. You know, you've had a long history working with the body of Christ around the world. Tell me about your first trip. I understand you went to one of the most populous Islamic countries in the world. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was my very first year with Integrity Music, actually, 1994. I was uh, new in the job, and I got handed a piece of paper, go to Jakarta, Indonesia, with the largest Muslim country by population in the world, and I uh, produced a worship record in the Bahasa dialect. Incredible time of worship, incredible people, and I love seeing the body of Christ coming together and exalting the Lord. And it's about people, it's about relationship, it's about the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've ministered in uh, Indonesia as well, and when people are singing in Bahasa, it's interesting. Uh, I don't speak Bahasa. Do you speak Bahasa? You, I don't, but I still remember some lyrics. Alusumber kuatku. Yeah. God is the strength of my life. Oh, that's great. And, you know, it's amazing because even though you can't speak the same language, yeah. you've been there uh, dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, as I have, where you know that they're their singing is bringing so much joy to the Father because they are His yeah. children. Even though we can't understand what they're saying, He obviously understands. He's so refreshed by yeah. that. And I've often thought about the, the pleasure that it must bring our Father to hear worship in so many languages around the world. Absolutely. It's, it's one of my favorite things when I think about the living, broad body of Christ that's here and joining with the angels and the, those who have gone on before us. You know, I, I remember something so simple, even weeping one time in worship as we sang the doxology. Praise, you know, heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I just, I, I'm very aware of the eternal picture of the body of Christ. And uh, so going to foreign countries and, and seeing the kingdoms, nations, language, tongues coming together in worship, it's God's view of his church. Absolutely. Really is. You know, we are, uh, in the Voice of the Martyrs, we focus on bringing fellowship to the body of Christ. For brothers and sisters here in the United States and in, in what we sometimes refer to as free nations, yeah. uh, getting to know their brothers and sisters in other places where uh, they're not able to practice their faith so freely. And you've had some personal experience with that. You actually were part of a mission that used music as sort of a way to get through some borders and to reach people, maybe deliver some Bibles. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, do I want to mention names and places? Uh, maybe not, but we were very involved in world evangelism. In the, uh, I became a believer in 1972. I'm an old guy, and I'm so grateful for the goodness of God. And I made a determination to serve God with my whole life. Immediately, I, you know, a year or so later, went on the mission field, raised my money as a missionary, and, and I lived on about 25 bucks a month. And our very first trip was to Poland, and we worked with small churches and got an invitation to work with the main churches in Poland. And we started singing in you know, churches and cathedrals of 10,000 people a night and leading people, thousands of people to Christ in Poland and then on to Yugoslavia, Hungary, Estonia, and throughout Western Europe and Africa. But all along the way, we we're bringing resources and the things that the church needs because people in these countries need help. I'm so proud of the body of Christ in the West because giving Bibles, curriculum, worship music. We took in recording studios. We took in tape duplicators. We'd bring in like a multi-bay cassette duplicator back in those days, and we'd leave it with the believers, and then we'd take out a broken cassette 
player. <laughs> yeah, what are some of the lessons you learned from those believers as you were watching them in this? Uh, just uh, you, you mentioned in Eastern Europe, they were just beginning to experience some of the openness that they would soon uh, fully experience when the wall came down. Uh, what did you see about their faith that was especially interesting or inspirational to you? Well, I would say in the midst of oppression, in the midst, at that point, communism, we didn't experience Islam at that point. We experienced the pressures of communism. And God's church is alive in the midst of pressure. That's right. People are vibrant in their faith. They're full of love. You know, we're all imperfect. They're imperfect. But they're people who know God, who love God. And I love to see the, the people come together in fellowship. And everything important in my life, and I think in your life too, Jason's in the life of the church, is through relationship. God wanted a relationship with us. He sent us on Jesus to seem and make that relationship happen through the blood of Christ. And I, I, I think that's the big picture of, for me is that the church is alive, it's vibrant, and it's full of relationship of real people. That's right. Well, you know, you mentioned that you were just recently in a country in the Middle East, and on the loudspeakers, the minarets, you heard uh, the Shahada, you know, being yeah. broadcast and an Islamic call to prayer. And what were you thinking when you heard that? Well, you, you know, when you hear it, you don't really know what it, what it is exactly. And I know the Shahada, you know, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is a prophet of God, and, and on. But one of the believers there said, you know, it's not just proclaiming Allah and Muhammad, they're actually saying death to Christians. Wow. There was, and I didn't know that, actually. That was new information, but they, they, they said that, that in minarets around the world, they're proclaiming cash is rolling to the sea, <laughs> to the west, and all those things. And in the midst of it, you know, we have to choose how we're going to respond. And you don't want to get out the guns, nuclear weapons, baseball bats, and all those things. But you ha I, I, just, I know for certain that love wins, and it's not about being mamby-pamby. It's about being disciplined and, and faithful and full of faith to know that the mercy of God transcends borders, cultures, faith, hatred. But it's tough. Yeah, it is it, tough. It is. And, and I, I heard you say uh, one time that we're not, we're not against. It's not what we're against. It's what we're for. We're for Muslims coming to Christ and to experience the mercy of Christ. Exactly. And I remember, um, you know, our founder, Richard Wormbrand, said one time, he said that Jesus never feared or hated anyone. And, mm. and that's what I hear when you're talking about that. You're saying that I'm not going to hate them or, or be afraid, even though they're shouting, you know, death to me. I'm going to proclaim love to them. And music has a way of reaching through those barriers sometimes, doesn't it? It absolutely, absolutely does. And worship, I want to be really clear. I've been working in worship and music my entire, well, most of my life. But, you know, worship is not music. But there's power in music. There's an intrinsic power to transcend thought um, walls. And when you touch a person's heart and you move them emotionally, all bets are off. Walls come down. And it, it helps. The Holy Spirit doesn't need our help, really. But there's, there's an ability by the Holy Spirit to go and do something that we can't see and something incredibly powerful because you've unlocked the keys to a person's heart. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus if our God is for us. That song appears on the album I Am In. You can get the CD and the book of the same name at our website, vomradio.net. Uh, just click on the store link right at the top of the page on vomradio.net. The book and the CD are going to help you understand 
the situations that our fellow believers are facing in Islamic countries, these stories are going to challenge you and equip you to pray more effectively for these brothers and sisters around the world. They're also going to encourage you to be faithful to the Lord, regardless of the challenges that you might be facing this week in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. When you visit that website, vomradio.net, you can also hear past episodes of the program and subscribe to our podcast. Next week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, we're going to learn more about what God is doing in the nation of Sudan. You're going to hear about some of the present-day heroes of the faith who are following the Lord even in, in difficult places, in difficult environment in Sudan. So I hope you'll be back and join us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.